nice things. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first fun-packed edition of Nice Things, uh, the antidote to modern living. With myself, Sir Michael Libsley, and... Uh, Lord Paul Carmichael, we'll go with. Lord Paul Carmichael. So, nice things. What are nice things? What are your nice things? What are my nice things? Paul, do you yes. have... Lord Paul. Yeah. Do you have a nice thing to get the ball rolling? A nice thing to get the ball rolling. Yeah. Um, yes, I do. Uh, right. The middle eight of the theme tune from Juliet Bravo. Oh, yeah. The, the, the sort of Cossack bit. Yes. That's it. Absolutely <laughs> magnificent. I mean, what you've got there, it's beautiful, isn't it? Because you've got a bit of Bach being played yeah. on God knows what Derek Groom had to hand at the time. But you've got this lovely version of a piece <laughs> by Bach. Um, it inspired an album choice recently, um, which is from 1971. And it's uh, Bach played on a Moog synthesizer. And it's lovely. But lovely. Absolutely lovely. That's a nice thing. Nice thing. Well, nice things can often be quite dreadful, can't they? I mean... Um, what was that album that you bought around about Christmas? The Brothers singing uh, Christmas carols or something. The cast, cast of, of the Brothers. The wish cast you a Merry of... Christmas. Yeah, the Brothers. For those who don't know, it doesn't sound great, does it? When you describe it, it's um, not promising. It's not really. Three brothers. <laughs> three brothers get left their father's uh, trucking firm in his will, but so does his secretary, who he's been at it with. Uh -huh. uh, so it's split between the four of them but his wife is alive. So, and then it's all set around board meetings and that sort of thing. And it's largely people shouting at each other across the table in Birmingham. Um, so, but, and that leads to this album in 1976, uh, Merry Christmas with the Hammond. And you've got Colin Baker singing Good King Wenceslas Last. And it's absolutely dreadful. Oh, but, yeah. But uh, it's nice. It's wonderful. It's something it that we love. Now, I've only got the Bill theme tune in my head. You know that mad bit that they cut out when they went to the 30, 30 minutes with the... So the Juliet yes. Bravo one. Now, um... Dee, 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 that's it. That's it, yeah. yeah that's yeah. it, absolutely. <clears throat> but, of course, if you've got the seven-inch single yeah. from BBC Records and Tapes, uh, and just that, they see, there's a nice there's thing. There's a nice thing. I mean, just the advert available oh, yeah. on... That's all you need. The moment you see BBC Records and Tapes, whether it's the three-track maxi single of Monkey Magic, and it was called Monkey Magic, not Monkey, I don't care who tells me otherwise. If you've got that, then, oh, you can be happy. Well, you? Monkey Magic was another nice thing. That's You see, and that's a thing with nice things, isn't it? Because it's not just the actual tangible thing, as in mm. a seven-inch single. It's the ephemera around it. So for me, Monkey Magic is Friday tea times, chips mm. and fish, uh, <laughs> not fish and chips, obviously. Ooh, no, no. Uh, um, chips and fish, common. Uh, ch <laughs> chips, and, chips and fish. Harold yeah. Lloyd, BBC yes. Two. Harold Lloyd and Monkey. They, they came as a package, didn't they? Really, they did. Absolutely wonderful. Well, you got all of this. It's a, it, maybe it's a coincidence, but you got all of these lovely things in television. Until all of a sudden, somebody at some point has said, well, let, let's start responding to the audience, or words to that effect. Meaningless, meaningless horseshit. Fatal. And automatically, you get deaf too. Oh, I disapprove of deaf too. Oh, I no, I quite, like, I quite like deaf too. Was that the thing with Magenta Divine? Well, she was part of it, wasn't it? Because Dev 2 was the umbrella, and then there were right. all these programs in between. Snub TV for me. Snub TV was where it was at, because Snub TV was the first time I saw bands like Lush and bands like Ride and things like that. So 
um, you know, at the time it was kind of, and I loved them and I still love them, but it was, it was sort of Madchester wall to wall and, yeah. and snub TV kind of brought about an alternative, which was, you know, uh, the band Lush was one of the things, but they used to go on all kinds of things, but getting back to this Juliet Bravo middle eight. Mm. So the end bit of it was the doodaloo, 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 hey, it wasn't it. It was, yeah. bit, it was sort <laughs> yeah. of a bit bony M, really. That's it. Yeah, yeah. But so, then it goes into this lovely middle eight, um, which just takes the, the tune in a different direction. Suddenly you can, you can imagine Juliet Bravo, which will always be the lead character. <laughs> oh, that was confusing, wasn't it, when we were kids? It's like when they changed the woman, it's like, oh, no, that's not her name. No. What do you mean? Yes. There should be some great actors turned up in that, didn't there? Brilliant actors. You got well. You ever, you had so many good actors to choose from, didn't you? But that's because the work was there. Yeah. Which is you know, which will bring me. I'm, I will raise this point later, quite forcefully. But is the cutoff point when nice things stopped? Because I know that yeah. we've talked about that before. And I know you've got a date, and I've got a difference. Yes. But yes. Yeah, mine's a little later than yours when nice things stop. Well, for me, nice things stop in '89. Mm. somewhere around about when they start there's there's a story in i think it's it's not a very good book about jeremy brett the man who became sherlock holmes so if, if you're a fan of brett obviously bending the willow is the one that's mm. the definitive work um and there's a sort of a bit of a tabloidy one called the man who became sherlock holmes and in that it describes they were they were kind of dismantling baker street the set the permanent set all around brett was you know, you know, typ typical hyperbole, cut a lonely figure, sat on the set alone, smoking yeah, yeah. cigarettes. He just had bad news off the doctor. All the, the trouble with that book and a lot of these books is it's like as if you're inside, you know, the, the subject's head at the time. And he knows how he felt when he was told he had emphysema and all these other emphysema, even a bit of Harry Worth. <laughs> uh, um, and and uh, no one can possibly know. You know, it's mm. got, I think that book has got a passage where it's like, you know, during the night, how ill he was, and it was like, and he couldn't sleep that night. And he, I remember one bit saying he was in the supermarket and he was depressed looking at the food he could no longer eat. It's like, piss off, mate. You know what I mean? I don't know how we got there anyway. Uh, but, oh, yeah, the cutoff point for nice things. Yes. Yeah, yeah, 89. yeah. 89, but barring a few very notable exceptions, because there's been some stunning stuff done since then. There really, there really has. I know has you... I, yes, one of the things I enjoyed was the production of War and Peace about six years ago, the BBC one, which got absolutely slated. Um, and like I say, it is notable exceptions. Now, one thing that you're not going to like is that I think that Netflix and Prime make some good stuff. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know, yeah, it's all right. It's, it's all right. Straight away, you're quite wrong. They don't. End um, <laughs> of lesson. Um, no. No, no I like, let's, let's get to your qualifier, which I like a lot <laughs> about why modern series are wrong. It's to do with number of episodes. It's to do with duration. So, you know, the, the Carmichael equation for television. Okay, the so, equation for when nice things stop, and yes, this yeah. is in television, but I extend it to the wider world, is midway through 1992. Because up until 1992, Television has always been made the same way, which you and I know, which is, of course, um, the, the episode that you're going to see that week is rehearsed a bit like a theatre show, and it's rehearsed for maybe four days, non-stop. You know, we're yeah. talking about, you know, 11, 12-hour days of rehearsal, 
rehearsing the acting, rehearsing your moves, rehearsing where the cameras, because there's only five cameras, yeah. are, are going to be to film this. And you rehearse for five days, you go into a studio, and then you've got one day to do the episode. Now yeah. that takes skill, and that's skill that I think you know, you've got because of rehearsal. And rehearsal's something that doesn't really seem to happen now. It's more, there's your script, learn your lines, say it. Will it do? Yeah, we'll transmit that. Yeah. I think that what you get is around about 1992, and this leads directly into your Netflix and Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> what you get then is directors suddenly deciding, well, let's not shoot whole scenes with five cameras and I'll cut between the pictures. Let's shoot with one camera. Mm. Let's go to single camera so we can really focus on getting the lighting precise for this one shot that mm. lasts an eighth of a second and nobody will ever give a shit about. But let's get the lighting just right for that. But rehearsal, as a consequence, rather went out the window. And I do put it down to that. I think that there's less drama being made now. And I think just flick through the old TV times, radio times, for a, pick, a, pick a random one from 1974. And you've got a new drama every night. You've got a new sitcom. Sitcom doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. You've got a new sitcom every night. You've got new documentaries every night. And these days, if a new drama launches on BBC One, like that last thing that people liked and I didn't. What was that? that? The Night Manager or whatever it was. No, I didn't oh. like that, no. But, that um, was absolute shit. But I there was something more recent that. Um, that was absolute horseshit. Can't remember. But well, it was, it's because it's quite recent. So it just passes yes. straight through. Well, the so, thing is, and you hit upon it there, uh, the problem is that... Once one art form starts to try to imitate another, i.e. television tries to become film, then yeah. it gives both of them an identity crisis because... Absolutely. You know, I watched... What was the movie that I watched last week? And the scale of it, it looked like a movie. Mm. You know, it looked like they were walking down a street in New York. It, it felt like it. And I think that once television started to look like film, firstly, television stopped being television because the, the, it loses that intimacy. You yeah. know... We want them to be, to, we want them to cut to Ronald Lee Hunt being slightly out of focus and, uh, yes, you know what I mean? We want that because, because we want to be a kind of, it, it's again, this ephemera of nice things. It's, it's the whole feeling that you get around it. It's cozy, it's warm, it's familiar. Um, and you're right. You do look at an old Radio Times and... The, the quality and the quantity are huge, especially with things like Play for Today and the Wednesday Play and, you know, stuff like that. Um, but I think you that... Don't get, but then again, the Wednesday Play and the Day for Today, they were often made on film, one camera, you know, and that absolutely fine. That seemed to work um, perfectly well, but it was doing away with multi-camera studio drama, which, of course, we can't do now because they closed TV centre down turned it into a But party. those films that you discussed, they may have been made on film, but they still had that rehearsal process Absolutely. going still along with it. All those sort of things, which these days there's no time for because rehearsal... But then you had actors that had gone through the mill on the rep system. They'd gone through... You know, they'd been trained. You absolutely do. So that's very true. So you did have people who could pick up a script... Um, which would happen on some of the soaps, of course. There's, uh, you know, a good few examples you can think of on, on soaps. Crossroads would have to do it occasionally when Ronnie Allen's cough got a bit too bad, so he'd go off for an episode, and then someone would just be there behind the desk of reception. They didn't work in Crossroads. It was the local doctor or something. Oh, I'm just helping out and saying all Ronnie's lines. There's, but they could do that. They could jump in. 
there's a scene in, <clears throat> and actually I wasn't, th- <clears throat> I was wrong with Ronald Lee Hunt, but it may as well be him. I'm sure there, there are examples, but there's a scene in Faulty Towers where they cut to the major and he's not ready. I can't think of the episode, but he's kind of, and then he goes, mm. you know, um, and that for us, it's like, you know, it's like when we're on stage and we cock something up and we do, you know, immediately it lowers the barrier between the, the audience and the subject. It absolutely does. And that's why TV with its immediacy, that's why TV with its immediacy and the way it used to be shot, because it was made on video. So it looked like the news. And that's why these days it can be a bit jarring when you watch a nice thing from 1982 and you suddenly yeah. go, they're all dead. All yes. That's because they had terrible lifestyles. <laughs> awful lifestyles. But, but I mean, but, it, it depends on your metric because, uh, you know, as we both know, we would quite be happy. We would be quite happy with a life whereby we finished working at 1030 at, at, at night, then went to the bar with our colleagues, then got so, absolutely arsehole. And whilst that sort of, bonding that camaraderie is going on we're actually talking about stuff we're gonna do the next day so it's not just shit that's coming out of our minds you know the working day extended into the cups really Mm. you know and that's another important thing isn't it the whole thing of demographics now if you go back if you think of that lovely meeting that uh, Cleese and the rest of the Pythons had with uh, controller of light entertainment um we want to do a show what's it about we don't know. All right, well, you can have 13. Yeah. Simple as that. And at ATV in Birmingham, at Broad Street, there used to be a walkway that connected from, I think, the rehearsal rooms down to the studios. And people would loiter at the top of this walkway and they'd spot an exec coming. And the game was, could you get the exec and walk them down uh, the corridor? And by the time you got to the bottom, could you get a commission out of them? Often you could. You know, you, you had people who believed in you and in the creative process. And again, because of the immediacy of television, you could go, let's write it, rehearse it, record it out. You know, I mean, we're talking about weeks. Whereas these days, if you've got a proposition, if you've got a proposition, you take it forward and suddenly it goes through committee and committee and committee and it gets filtered and it gets the love taken out of it. And, oh, are we appealing to this particular demographic that only lives in Dagenham or something like that? Yeah. And by the time yeah. I get to the end of it, it's, it's a shadow of its former self. And the Television by committee. Yeah. It's is just the end. It's, what's, it's kind of, I suppose, what comes in. I mean, wasn't the last... Pro- I mean, it's, I'm not a fan of it, but wasn't the last proper piece of TV drama made in the old-fashioned way, The House of Elliot? On, House of Elliot. The it, House yeah. of Elliot was it, um, wasn't that it? That was the last... I'm fairly sure we could get comment comment below. It yes, yes. Tell us if we're wrong. But, but um, television, television by committee is not a nice thing. It's never a nice thing. No, you're right. I think it was House of Elliot um, in in uh, would have been presumably TC One or TC Three, and that was the last show made under the old multi-camera uh, yeah. system. And after that, gone. Yeah. And all of a sudden, everything is trying to replicate film, mm. and I think. That will work for certain things, but then you've got to look at all of a sudden these shows that used to churn out Doctor Who when it started, well, 45 episodes a year. These days, eight, eight episodes every two and a half years if we really push. Too many. (laughs) (laughs) Just churn it out, churn it out. I mean, you want to get to the good stuff. If you've got, if you think about a series of that, they get 13 and then they stop. 
Well, 13 yeah. just got Hartnell sort of into three stories, and then they picked up. You've got to have that run for a series. You've got to let it bed in. But nothing is allowed to breathe. Nothing is allowed to develop. You know, it's like fools and asses, isn't it? In the early 80s, that was, that was considered a flop. And they gave it, I think it had two series or, or something. And then they started repeating the first two series. And on the repeats, it started to pick up a following. Yeah. You know, and then, but, but they won't allow things like that anymore. I don't think that's going to... It's like that Frank Zappa thing. You find the clip on YouTube where he goes on about those cigar-chomping old guys in suits that we used to complain about. Uh, but they would just say, you know, I don't know what the, the, these young kids are doing, but, but it seems to sell. Let them do it. But now what you've got is people who are in that capacity of being a commissioner, they decide what's cool. They decide what's good. As opposed to them trusting in the artist to create something. It's like, you know, Pink Floyd's another example, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm borrowing an, an analogy from music, but I think it transfers over correctly. I don't think that anything's given a chance, you know, to be shit as well. Let things be shit. Because there are some things that absolutely hit the mark but there's something in there, you know, some of the, some of the Spike Milligan stuff, you know, is, is dreadful. Yeah. You know? And then in amongst it is this, are these gems. I don't think anything is allowed to find its feet. I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any store or any confidence placed in new artists. And I think that new artists themselves self-censor and try to shape things that they know will get commissioned. So every step of the process, there's a dilution. Mm. Isn't oh, everywhere, everywhere. There always is. Yeah, you are always trying to please multiple people. But I, I think that the people you maybe think about last are the audience. No, the people you think about last are yourself. Because mm. you've got to abandon so much of what you wanted to do to get through these this layered system. And then eventually you hope the audience will watch it. But God knows it's probably not what you wanted them to actually see and enjoy. Yeah. And then you're into that... And then does it please you? Well, probably not, because it's not the story you intended to tell, because all no. of a sudden it's, had, it's being pulled to pieces. Do you think it's really a comedy? Maybe it's a drama, that yeah. sort of thing. And, and oh, should we put a dog in it? No. Yeah. It's no. eaten itself, it's hasn't it? I mean, there mm. are some things, I mean, you know, it's kind of like in that golden age, things did fall through the cracks. I mean, I remember being a kid uh, and very, very upset that there wasn't a series of Canine and Company very, very upset about it. And I still watch it now, and I think, you know what, even with that shit theme, well, I don't mind the theme tune, um, mm. but, but, you know, people go on about how shit it is and how awful it is. I mean, but for, for people like me and you who, you know, again, with this ephemera of what we're talking about with nice things, it's like season, season 18, 19 feel like a sort of warm bosom that, that yes. you start of you can rest your head in really don't they you should point out we're talking about doctor who we are talking about doctor who you can rest your counselor head in never mind your head in but <laughs> it, it's it's that talking about nice things mm. is that christmas now with the weather hill trans weather hill transmitter winter hill, winter hill that's correct mm. sorry thank you yeah. um when that went, I just remember I'd been given a really shitty old portable. Our, my auntie Jim, my auntie Jim, my, so we were a very progressive family. Um, <laughs> my, my uncle Jim and auntie Beck gave me uh, the portable telly out of their caravan. So yeah. it was dreadful. And I remember it had one of those, you know, roundy, uh, springy, shitty aerials oh, on the back. Yeah. yeah. 
So it was crap enough anyway, but it was like, right, I don't know whatever was, it's probably a three, two, one Christmas special. My mum and my nan are watching it. We were an ITV household, as you know, Paul. Yes. We'll discuss this. We'll discuss this. Yes. We're, you know, Catholics. So we watched yeah. ITV. Um, and, and so I, I was consigned to the, you know, the, the living room with um, the, the little black and white telly. And it went and I, knocked hell out of this bloody telly thinking it was that and it wasn't but then they repeated it didn't they about a week later they did and now this is interesting you brought that up because on my little list of nice things and nasty things you have a I list have, i need a list uh, well it's it's basically got two things on and this oh, is good the, um, <laughs> so, so we've hit both by accident yes <laughs> <laughs> not bad is it that's amazing podcast, i'm spent um, no, no committee required, dear. No, not at all, dear. No, yeah. but with with this, I mean, I've got this, and it and it it goes across the two, and right. this is, I think, interesting because obviously the idea of K nine having his own show to me, I would when nineteen eighty one, I was six, perfect age for that. Yeah. So sitting there and watching it and asking everyone to be quiet, and I remember that my uncle Ron was there. My uncle Ron could uh, do a little trick where he'd do something to his face and his chin would turn green. Wow. And I don't, I don't know what that was. I have no idea at all. Um, but wow. That's a lie. So it wasn't anything fatal. We but must visit Ron and find out answers he, immediately. He, he also does a brilliant trick with a club biscuit where he can sort of like put the wrapper together. <laughs> <laughs> Um, with nothing in it, and then blow on it, and there's a chocolate biscuit there. Now, he hasn't shown me that since about 1983, so maybe I was just eight and not focusing. But Winter Hill Breaking, yeah, uh, I was so, so excited for that show. Oh, that, 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 the Christmas, just a little sidestep here, just mm. a tiny one, right? Mm. But uh, as I said, being a Catholic, we watched ITV all the time. We never had a Radio Times in the house, but I had a paper round, so I was able to, you know, look at what rich people looked at. So I read the Radio Times on my paper round. So that that's one point. The the Christmasness of the BBC and and the Radio Times and everything. You were excited. Nineteen eighty four being the box of delights. How the hell that cost a million quid? I don't know. But anyway, that's a conversation for another time. Mm. But but the build up to Christmas when you were a kid with the BBC and the Radio Times. Yes. Um, I, I sort of just want to plant that in the viewers or the listeners' minds, that, that feeling. Now, if you, were, if, you, if you know that feeling, it's intangible and you can't describe it, but where you're talking about now is that is possibly the, the ultimate nice thing. If not, no. The, the ultimate one is obviously my ninth birthday when I watched The Three Doctors as part of the five faces of doctor who season mm -hmm. that is obviously the ultimate nice thing for me and we'll yes. maybe talk about that uh, but go on so so i'm just sort of trying to do a thumbnail sketch of yeah the, the bbc-ness the christmasness of the bbc but that leads me to the question that i wanted to ask you which is this i think that nice things yeah are absolutely linked to winter for me yes for I me, yes. Yeah, I mean, we're both here. Yeah. You've gone bright red. I'm I've been out in the sun too much. I mean, I, I, I look like Alan Brazil. <laughs> 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 At the minute, I can't, I'm going to have to do some trickery with the uh, software. I, I look like a Alicia Beacon. <laughs> it's not, but it's not a nice thing sort of a day. And I put that down to the weather. I think the nice thing yes. in winter 
just before Christmas, I think. Walking home from school, right? Mm. You know what I mean? The back door opening, that sort of chisel of light going out onto the, you know, the the backyard where, you know, I'd go in and the fire would be going and the, my nan would be asleep in the chair because she was so old and the smell of the surgical stockings being heated by the fire, you know, and all of this stuff. So, so there's, it's sort of, you know, it's like a, a Proustian association, isn't it? That involuntary memory. I suppose yeah. nice things exist. We like them because they promote, provoke that involuntary memory within us, don't Absolutely, they? Yeah. You know, they take us on that trip. But winter, 100,000% ghosts of Motley Hall, all children of the stones all rushing home from school and sitting there and it's going dark outside and you're watching it and Absolutely. yeah it's again it's intangible isn't it that feeling it completely it's tangible is. it's tangible but indescribable yes yeah, absolutely. I think that there's a, an absolute link there. And straight away, I think about the uh, the bonfires that we used to have uh, on the hill near mine. We used to have, and I think I went carol singing and that sort of thing. You know, it doesn't happen. Now, no. I don't want to turn this into a moaning old fart podcast, but... Did you used to steal each other's firewood? No, I, I was in Chilwell. Uh, I was a Protestant. Thing. Firewood? We had gas. <laughs> no, the bonfire. Oh, no, we just made one big one. Right. Okay. Oh no, no. We had. We were very sort of. You know, it was the kids from each street had them. Imagine a drama about the troubles in Northern Ireland. That's kind of where. I... <laughs> no, no. I think I've seen photographs of that, and that does look nice. So you'd have one at the end of each street, or in the middle of each street. But we'd that. steal each other's wood. We'd yeah. we'd have to stash the. Obviously, your mother wasn't going to let you fill the garden with old settees, and there was no sort of. You know, now it's kind of like you may only burn dried wood and all this other sort of stuff that's coming in now about what fuel you can burn. Bollocks! We it, sofas. You know mm. what I mean? Like bags of of cans were burnt. You name it. In the seventies and the eighties, we didn't give a shit about what we burnt. And so, if if we knew were some of the other chaps had hidden their booty for burning on bonfire night. We would go and find it and set fire to it so that, <laughs> <laughs> so that they couldn't have it. You know what I mean? I remember sitting in front of one. Oh God, what a bastard I was. But I remember sitting like opposite this lad's house on uh, Wycliffe Road. It was in Hay, around the corner from where I lived. And I knew he, he was sort of going to be watching out over the road for his stash of firewood that was hidden in the bushes. And I just remember setting fire to it and sitting back just like that, looking at him, watching him, <laughs> watching me, you know? There you go. There's, a, there's an insight into the mind of a very red-faced boy. Um, <laughs> I'm embarrassed by it, Paul. That's what the redness is. Uh, sorry, going back to your point about Christmas, the ultimate nice thing. Nice. Yeah, thing. Well, it's the ultimate nice thing, I think, is that whole thing. Of, it, it is that Christmas thing, isn't it? I know that we both love Christmas very much. But uh, for me, that nice thing seems to take place there. It has to be a bit dark. And I wonder if that's mm. because we have this connection in this country with... You know, we've got we've got the connection with the occult. We've got the connection with sitting around and telling ghost stories. That lovely tradition of those sort of things. I wonder if there is a real definitely with the time of year, or if it's just with with that with darkness and what that brings. I'm not well, quite sure. I think that certainly the see. I think there's a obviously there's a schism within the the psychology of of this country and that does fall down religious lines and we are very much still living um in the shadow of the reformation of the monasteries and the restoration so from a from a point of view so henry the eighth quick sort of history lesson as we for anyone who's asked a silver black song um 
Henry VIII used the third commandment, I think it's the third one, thou shalt not create false idol, to say, right, Rome, um, they're corrupt, they're decadent, they're this, they're this, they're that. So the only art which existed at the time being religious art, statues mm. and paintings and stained glass and whatever, immediately overnight, the English, the English psyche was split apart from that of Europe then because mm. we became a nation to shun art and to destroy art and to burn paintings and to smash stained glass and to break statues and all this other stuff. And like every single crisis we find in history, the misanthropes can use it to cloak their hatred in virtue. That's what they do. They're like, great, I'll have some of that. And I think the English psyche, the, 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 certainly the Protestant side of it, has got that austerity about it, hasn't it? You know yes. what I mean, and the Absolutely, Catholics yeah. and the Catholic side of things is kind of more. You know, we we try to think of it as more passionate, more colourful, more this, more ITV than BBC, for example. More theatrical, uh, certainly. More theatrical, certainly. But then you've got the Restoration, where you've got like you know, all of a sudden, you know, as you I remember pointing out to me once, you know, think about it, you had however long the co the common law lasted for in this country where you weren't even allowed to sing and dance. Mm. And then with Charles II being put back on the throne, you had a gold carriage going through London. <laughs> yeah. so it's, like, it's like this big slab of colour yeah. going through this grey landscape. But, there are, but this is the problem, isn't it? We've always tried to oppress in this country art. Yeah. Uh, you know, when Shakespeare's working, you've got the Puritans, thou shalt not do anything then we get uh, Cromwell coming in the theatres go then theatre comes back then we get the division of theatre into music hall and theatre depending on what class you were under the Victorians we've, we've, we've always found these ways of somehow sort of saying oh not for you not yeah. for you no, well the justification that Cromwell used was the same one that Henry VIII used false idols I mm. shall not create false idols and, and so there were no statues in a Protestant church. There were no paintings. There were no nothing. That's why it had to be a square white room, didn't it? That was it. Maybe a little thing on the wall <laughs> with, the, with the hymn numbers if you were allowed to sing. But I think the English, um, that's, what did, that's what separates the English from the European in terms of um, a, a character. I think that art is something we very much, not so much shun, maybe, that's too strong, but certainly... We keep it hidden as much. We're very as proud of elements of it, aren't we? I mean, everybody who is a little bit nationalistic likes to bang on about Shakespeare. Couldn't quote him, but they like to bang mm. on about him. But the trouble is, we celebrate the past at the expense of what could be the future here. Mm. You know, we if when you take risks, when you take artistic risks, you do get Monty Python, you mm. do get the Beatles, you do get these bands and you do get these programs and you get these writers and you even get you know you get visual artists you get Damien Hurst and Tracy Emin and my dad saying that just looks like your bedroom that and that sort of thing you do get that but mm. you you've got to allow for this progression and I think that's something that we but again we I think when you talk about modern, modern art the, the the examples you give would be very sort of brutal would be very anti sort of you know the glory the, the yeah. rich colors you know so i think that's uh, you know modern art is a, a manifestation of the english um psychology toward art it's mm. it's very much austere <clears throat> it's very much not pretty 
you, you know no. what I mean? Whereas I think, you know, you go to some of the churches in Italy and they're just wonderful things, yeah. you know. Um, I think that the British, I think that the way we create our art um, can be, you know, it can be ugly. I, th I think that the, there is that side to it. Anyway, we've so gone down a, a rabbit hole, sorry. Well, no, is, th is this a class thing then? Because I know what you were saying before. I mean, we've talked before about the whole sort of BBC ITV thing. Now, I don't know if that's just here up here in Granada land in the Northwest, but it did seem to me that you had this very definite split where if you Protestant, uh, BBC, Catholic, ITV, my neighbours who lived directly opposite when I was growing up, the Cunninghams, absolutely an ITV family. Yeah. I think the very first time that I ever saw a bit of, I, of ITV was I went to my grandparents. Uh, <laughs> so a bit. It's like you'd seen a, you know, a peep show or something. You'd well, it it you really know. was like that, because I'd go to my grandparents' house and they loved watching Bullseye. And I just remember sitting there, and my, my nan used to make these ham sandwiches, which were just like slabs, just big, thick white bread, and this ham, which was like that, and covered in jelly. Yeah, Boom, remember that. that. <coughs> and then Bullseye coming on, which I think was the first time I probably ever saw the ATV sting, because the, the first series was ATV before it went right. to center. So I saw that, and I was like, ooh. What's this? I've never been allowed to watch Tiswas. <laughs> <laughs> but then you've also got that lovely thing as well, which is the difference between colour, which is you've got BBC colour and ITV colour. And mm. ITV, they always just turn the colour up a bit, which is why right. it's more brighter than right. the BBC, where everything is kept flesh tones. So you've got that. I love that. Well, um, there's a line in Bottom, isn't there? Uh, I don't know if you remember this, where, where Eddie and Richie are having this conversation and Richie's just like, ITV, you know what I mean? And uh, he's just like, no, no, Eddie, we'll be watching the BBC, the Queen's Channel, you know? And Eddie's like, yeah, ITV, that's the channel for me. Nothing to worry about and plenty of sauce. <laughs> you know, and, and so the, I know what you mean with that. I think a lot of it, is rooted in there's a there's a certain archetype isn't there up north and i grew up steeped in it which is the uh socialist catholic mindset yeah. um whereby you know you've got to remember the queen or her uh, predecessor had um, you know shunned the church of rome and had burnt catholics at the stale stale <laughs> at the stake <laughs> so um the royal family were the enemy that mm. that was it. Me growing up, that's what my grand. You know, I can still see. You know, old Bill now, my granddad. You know, like punching the table, saying that parasites living on the back of the working classes. Mm. So I can still see that. So there's that aspect to it. I mean, I, I you know, people going about the Queen's speech now. Never saw it as a kid. Not a chance. You know, we had the Sacred Heart of Jesus on the wall. We didn't have a, a portrait of the Queen. There was no way. Um, so I think that it speaks to that. I think that, again, you know, it's so ridiculous. I mean, when we were growing up in the 70s and 80s, mm. I think it's quite amusing now to think that we were still um, living with attitudes that were forged 300 years previously. And mm. they were still predominant attitudes that shaped behavior such as what TV channel you watch. Can you imagine that now? You know, as if anyone cares about this shit now. Well, I can't. We, we do. <laughs> I know we do. And Nobody we else does. No. I don't think anybody young gives a shit about any of this stuff. And, and that is a good thing, really, because there's the sectarian side of things, which obviously is that times 10. Um, you know, but 
we were still living under, like I say, a behavior shaped by a despotic king <laughs> 400 years previously, which I find a, a good sort of indication of how little had changed in, in the world. My youngest son watches YouTube videos of people playing computer games. I know, they do. I know. We haven't gone forwards. I know. I mean, no, we've not gone forwards by any means. Oh, thank God for that, I thought. I thought. No, 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 no. I, I... Really the end of this podcast, I've wrote only one episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that, you know, going back to what we were saying about the winter side of things, and, and you know, obviously we've drifted far away from that. Hmm. But there is a certain aspect of the of the English psychology which does combine that that sort of Christianity and that superstition together. There's an there's a an exhibit in the Liverpool Museum where they dug up some bloke from the Middle Ages, <clears throat> and they've got a, a, obviously a, a dummy there with his clothing on and stuff, and they show you the contents of the pocket that they you know this chap was buried with, and in his pocket he had a crucifix, but he also in the other pocket had a little reticule, had a little crystal ball and it's said on the it's probably still says it on the little piece of card that's against the exhibit it just says you know the the anglo-saxons were notorious for edging their bets <laughs> and, and i think that that runs through english psychology such as like with mr james there's that lovely scene isn't there in a what um uh, the stalls of barchester where Robert Hardy and is it Eric Chitty when they're out in the, you know, the, the, they find the stump of the hanging tree. And, yeah. you know, I think that uh, Gordon Clark must have looked out really at that point because you just see the snow drifting in on that scene. Have you noticed that? There's very light flecks of snow going across the, the scene. And um, he talks about the old ways, you know, and he said, there are some in these parts who, when I came here, still believed in this and still believed in that. And that's a very rich scene to mine for, for writers of fantasy in this country. You know, look, the demons, children of the stones, all the Scarfolk stuff. Mm. Um, you know, we have that, that superstitious line going through our Christianity in this country. We, we definitely, definitely do. And M.R. James is great at combining, isn't he? You know, the, the, the sort of the superstitious side of things. Absolutely. And I think that is that something that we've lost in recent times? Do you think? That's maybe? what I mean. That's, that seems to have dissipated along with a, an awful lot of modern technology. There isn't any wonder anymore. The fact that I can just, yeah. I, I can pick this up and ask it anything and it tells me things. Well, what is it? Um, he says in the Lord of the Rings, something like the age of the the age of magic was over, and the age of men was beginning, or something along those lines. Um, and I think, yeah, I'd say we're way down that road now. I'd say that you, you know the sort of the joy that human beings have in their own imagination and the way that they inter they can be as fanciful as they like, can't they, with their inter we can be as fanciful as we like with our interpretation of what we see and what we hear now. You know, <clears throat> you'll see something and you'll know your, you know, you'll know it's not something supernatural, but you're happy to go on that flight of fancy, aren't you? Yes. You know, and 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 if you're a writer, you're then happy to take that to the next level and create something out of it. Um, but I think a lot of people now have been taught to think in certain ways whereby they don't allow themselves that 
that vanity of just being like, you know, it, it's kind of like, oh, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. That's, we, that's been proven. You know, we, it, it's like science says that's bullshit. Therefore, you mm. won't allow yourself to even think about stuff like that. And I think that, I think it kills a lot of imagination, this fact that we've answered all the questions. We know how the universe works. That's it. And I think a lot of people are that, you know, um, uniformitarian in their mindset. But the, and the sad thing there is, where are the next? Where is the next generation of writers going to come from? Where is the next Nigel Neal, the next Robert Holmes, the next Roman Ronan Monroe? Where are these people yeah. who had these opportunities to create short form <coughs> six weeks on BBC or ITV, uh, but they had the opportunity to actually hone their skill? Well, that's not there anymore. Um, no. We've lost that. There's an awful lot of self-produced stuff um, which is made, and yeah, some of it's watchable yes well i know you're a big fan of big finish aren't you <laughs> i love big finish and i you know what I mean, really, right, is it where is it now yeah earlier today red as it, a berry me earlier today this arrives oh a nice thing oh Oh, oh, it's it's gone. Invisibility. What? This is from Big Finish. They make things that are invisible. But this is a cardboard box in which um, was a was a three LP set. Oh, nice. Some Big Finish stuff. So all of a sudden, I've got Doctor Who on record, and this is something recording like this. Another nice thing. Don't like it. You know, at the end of the day, I think that what we should do is we should be in a recording studio once mm. a week. And these should be released on uh, absolutely edited, on record, and you of should course. be able to subscribe five pounds a week, and it arrives at your door. That'd be I lovely. Think, I think Decca would go with that. Oh yes. Yeah. As it is, you know, we we have to do things in this way, and whilst it's lovely being able to make stuff with an immediacy, I'd say about. 99% of the podcasts I've dipped into are, are crap. And I don't just mean that I'm not interested in them. I just mean that there doesn't seem to be any purpose. But like there is to this. There's no purpose whatsoever. But no, no, but this no. is different. It's about nice things, obviously. And, nice and, things. and we like nice things. And um, to sort of, you know, as, as a kind of caveat to what we were saying, I'm sure, as you were, you were kind of insinuating then, there are a, a lot of people out there who are talented, who not are, lot. not a lot maybe, no, but, uh, but, but they, there's Absolutely. no opportunity. The, the framework doesn't exist. In the same way that us both, we know um, in our work, in our day job, where we are, uh, you know, training young people to be actors and stuff like that. And we know for a fact that <coughs> social... Um, limitations very much shape the opportunities that these young people will go on to um encounter we know that so, absolutely there's the well that you've got several <coughs> limitations haven't you first of all you've got the financial limitation which you will face if you want to train within the arts my god it costs and it doesn't mm -hmm. just cost when you're training it's when you get out of there being able to find the flexibility in a job or have it paid so that you don't have to find the flexibility so that you can go to auditions and so on. Yeah. So there is a financial issue. There is very much, there is a, a north-south divide. I had a student go for audition at um, a certain school down south uh, last year um, and there was a lot of piss-taking out of mm. their accent and that's yeah. still there. You think, Christ, <clears throat> not now. That's a bit strange. So you do have... 
that limitation. But I, I think you do also have the limitations that are now being placed on an industry, so within television, an industry where we know that reality television, some somebody who's done a panto eating a, eating a pig's arsehole or something, people will watch that. Yes. Right? That's absolutely fine. But ultimately, if you're watching that, you are assisting with the destruction of television, drama, and comedy because that stuff is cheap to make. Yeah. You know, it is cheap to make, and I can see why people uh, want to do that. I can see why people watch Big Brother, but ultimately it's cheaper to make than, certainly than a single camera drama. Um, I'd say that the, the blame for this can be laid fairly and squarely at the door of live TV, but before we go to, before we go to that, we've still not got to your Christmas-ness-ness-ness. Your, your nice thing about that Christmas when I mentioned canine going off the air. And, and also, I seem to remember the Christmas Grange Hill being hit by that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what the nice thing was, yeah. actually, from that, is um, that year, because um, I, I was devastated, and I assumed that it was our telly, of course. Of course. Um, so I didn't have a clue what was going on. Um, so at that point, I recall um, demanding that I was taken over the road to our neighbours. <laughs> Who, who were finding that even though they were watching something common on ITV, probably common. Celebrity Squares or something, even <laughs> despite that, uh, no, their telly was knackered as well. So it's like, right, it's not... Yet. So I was, I was pretty devastated. So um, the nice thing there is I was given uh, a Christmas present early, and that was the BBC Records and Tapes, um, ah. Doctor Who, Genesis of the Daleks. Ah, now a very nice thing. That yes. is a very nice thing. Even if you don't like Doctor Who. Yes. That's a nice thing. Yes. Absolutely. That, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've, I've never owned a copy of that, actually. I think I'll need to remedy this. Um, for some reason, my mind's gone off down some other rabbit hole about, how, you know, live TV, if they'd made a version, a sort of late night porny version of Celebrity Squirts. Would it have been called Celebrity Squirts? We'll never know now, will we? But, um, there was a late night version of Doctor Who for a while on the adult channel called Doctor Screw. Really? 13 episodes, I believe, were made of that. Um, so, Doctor so Who, Doctor did you enjoy Screw. working on this? Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Laughed many a thing in my time, but never, never. <clears throat> I, I love that side of things, the, the Christmas thing. And I remember, you know, you won't like this, but I've got a nice thing memory, which was around about that Christmas, one of them. But Martin Graves in The Next Road, he had one of those Atari things, you know. Oh, yes. He had money. And, um, he had Pac-Man on it and I was just sort of like, you know, I, it's one of those things, isn't it? You don't hang around with this person. And then the next thing it's like, Oh, Martin, Michael's here again. It's like, yes. you, you just want to go yeah. in and, uh, but, 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 you know, you're playing, that's probably the last computer game. I, first and last I ever played. Mm. Um, don't see the point. Um, but, um, the Christmas thing, the darkness thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but as a kid, I was kind of, you know, I was, quite happy to entertain the notion that there were goblins and furries and all these other kinds of things that were hiding in the undergrowth and yeah yeah absolutely there was no problem believing that and i think that that's i put that down to the fact that in those days for us as kids your imagination was this beautiful expansive play area that you had to wander into because you got play school on the telly in the morning 
you got half an hour of ITV, which was usually Pipkins followed by Rainbow at lunch, and then nothing until two hours in the afternoon. That was it. And the rest of the time as a child. I remember there was, um, at the bottom of our street, the second house I lived in, there was, um, there was a bomb crater <coughs> wow. from a bomb that had been dropped um, during the Blitz. So that was, was that 41 Liverpool Blitz, I think? Yeah, yeah, 40. yeah, yeah. And this must have been 78, 79, and it was still there. And yeah, you, you actually... So I had this, this crater, which was could be anything. Yes. You know, it could be the surface of the moon or, or what it frequently yes. was. Um, yes. And I just remember, because once we went into this crater, which was slanty side, but about, about six foot deep, that's all. But because of my height, I would have been no more than four foot at the most. No, less, actually. Probably three and a half foot. So all of a sudden, then you're oh, just submerged fr- in this. And that could become anywhere. Now, I yeah. dare say if, as I was rather a hyperactive child, if CBBS or Nickelodeon or whatever had been around then, it would have been a simpler thing. Stick that on. Watch that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I agree with well, that. The imagination isn't given those opportunities. And I think, I don't know if you're seeing this, but with us both working, training young actors, I find that their imaginations don't come to us in the fertile state they did 15 years ago, even 10 years. 100%, 100%, 100%. Because they're being yeah. told how to be creative. You've got to do it like this. You've got to mind to a song on TikTok. You've got to yes. film yourself and water dropped on you. It's like, oh, where's the creativity? You're following a fad. Where is the creative play? I don't think there's creative play. No, no, and it goes back to that old quote by the Australian child psychologist, Donald Winnicott, which is, all creativity comes from play. Yes. And, and, and isn't there, I, I agree, I hadn't identified that, actually. The paucity of, of stuff we had available left us lots of time to create our own, didn't it, really? Absolutely, it did. I remember <coughs> end of summers cycling from my dad's house up to the chill wall five ways, down Menlove Avenue, back around to my dad's house via Beauclair Drive, and then doing it again, and just doing that for Christ knows how long on, on my grifter, yeah. until it came to about lunchtime, at which point we'd go to the chippy, and I think it was 75p, got you a bag of chips and a, and a can of dandelion and burdock. Oh, dandelion yes. and burdock is a nice thing. It's a nice thing, yes. They do that a posh one now, don't they, as well? Yeah. But the war uh, thing did nice, 1970s, nice thing. <clears throat> Have a pop man. Oh, yes, we had a pop, man. Yeah, we had Margie Pop. Other places had a different one. Pineapple Aid. Crates on the back. Yeah. Just like a giant milk float, but in these crates, which is all these different coloured, incredibly E-number. Oh, lime cream soda, the green stuff. So so bad that it's kind of... You can probably buy it on the dark web if you've got Bitcoins or something, but... but, um, but, I was banned from drinking that. Yeah, the Uh, green stuff. Yeah, the green stuff. It had such an effect on my behaviour. I was taken to the doctor. Yeah. Uh, My mum was asked about my diet, and she identified that, and also quash. Oh, quash. I absolutely... Quash was... Well, you see, the thing is, Quash, I can't remember the cartoon character, uh, but there was some kind of cartoon character with Quash, and in the same way, I remember us having Banquet Margarine, which had, like, a King Henry VIII on the front of it. You know, you Margarine, Paul, it's what poor people eat. You, you won't have encountered it. <clears throat> but the war thing is something as well that I'd forgotten about because we had a shelter in the backyard. 
you mm. know, it was kind of like a brick thing with a big, thick concrete stuff, uh, slab on top of it. So there was that aspect to it. And yeah, I think that we were raised, well, certainly I was, because I was raised by me nan. We were raised by people who remember the jeopardy just of, of living. It's like Tom Baker tells that story, doesn't he, about how life, life was much more exciting before penicillin. You know, you could, you, could, you could stand on a nail on Tuesday and be dead by Saturday. You, you know, so they had all of that. We had that around us. I think that, well, it's not an original observation, but I think that that kind of jeopardy to just life breeds a certain um appetite for for discovery for trying new things for, oh what the hell mm-hmm. you know and i think that the the manifestation we're seeing now of risk aversion you know in this sort of covid world which i don't particularly want to even mention in this uh because it's the antithesis of nice things this yeah. is meant to be an antidote to to modern living yeah. um I don't think the people that raised us were particularly interested in our safety, and I don't think that's too bad a thing, really. No, I, our safety, I think our safety awareness came from public information films oh, of yes. children drowning in slurry on farms. Yeah. Which, which are still terrifying. <laughs> that one with Donald Pleasance narrating oh, the voice yeah. as he stepped, Dark Water, it's called. Yes, that's it. stood looming over children and... Yeah. Oh, I remember one with an old woman standing on the chair to reach something. And then in slow motion, this old woman just goes through a glass cabinet in, 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 in like just completely. It's like tee hee. I'm sorry, but you know, it's, it's just, is this not meant to be funny? I'm sorry. But there's the, the whole thing about, you know, you must remember that one. That was a kind of late one where it was like about litter or something. It was a guy putting a milk bottle on a wall. So what gives people jobs? And yes. every every time my son borrows the car, it comes back stinking like a filthy ashtray. And he tips the ash, he t- tips the fag ends into the street, doesn't he? Yeah. And and then the little girl at the end's going along the railings with the stick, and she knocks the milk bottle up off, and it's like wah. And then there's a close up on the guy who put the milk bottle there. It's like well, we had that, and that yeah. that was enough to teach us to be scared. I mean, I, I remember, <laughs> I, I remember uh, being my- scared though. We were allowed yeah. to be scared. We're allowed to be scared, but you're right. It's because you had these people who've known fear. Um, I remember my uh, my granddad, who was uh, a bit like your granddad, uh, your nan to you. you yeah, know, top really, chap. Really, yeah, raised me. Um, and the only time I ever saw him without the it wasn't a facade, but whenever I saw the mask of of the grandparent slip, very proper man, wouldn't leave the house without a hat on ever. Absolutely. I've seen that photograph. He's proper, oh, yeah. isn't he? Hats on, always on. But he was a fireman during World War II. I remember, and this was a, a winter thing as well, that um, he'd been left to babysit me while my parents had gone out. And I think this is just at the point where I probably wouldn't have needed a babysitter, so to speak, because uh, they were showing those repeats of Python on a Saturday night. So I think that puts it towards the end of the 80s. Um, Definitely. I watched those with him, and uh, one night I remember he had, uh, he had a whiskey and he didn't drink normally. And he just had a whiskey. And it was the anniversary of a date he remembered from um, from a bombing that he'd attended in World War II, and he was based up in Glasgow. Um, and <laughs> he said he went into this living room, and it was an incendiary bomb it had gone off and <laughs> straight through. And he went into a living room, and he saw an old man sat by the fire. 
just sat completely normal, just looking at the fire. And he went over and he just put his hand on his shoulder to see if he was all right. And he said the bloke just like, just crumpled into ash. Wow. Gone. Now, he wasn't a soldier. He wasn't an especially brave man. He was an average man. He was intelligent, but he was average. So I think for average people to have seen that, I think you do end up with this risk aversion. I think there's, that's why if you think about Python being commissioned, oh, do 13, see how it goes. What you had then were the people in charge of somewhere at the BBC were all ex-military. Mm. You know, they'd gone through the ranks and you had these people who would run it. Yeah, a bit like an old boys club. And we're not allowed to uh, suggest for a moment that that might be a good thing these days. Mm. It is a good thing. It's a very good thing. Because it can lead to creativity and it leads to people. If you've got that gung-ho attitude, then if you're used to people trying to shoot your ass, you're not going to give two tosses about going, oh, do 13, see how it goes. Yeah. You're not going to mind. And it's yeah. that element of risk that now leads to a... To less nice things. Less nice things. And there, and there are less nice things. Mm. I think that we've, uh, I think that we're at the end of this particular manifesto, dear. Um, I think that's not a bad first episode. So, yes. so we'll see, so. we'll see what people think. Um, so a nice thing, what, which nice thing would you choose to keep out of all those nice things? If we were to say, Paul, you could, Lord Paul, yes. you can only have, one of those um, nice things, just the one you've got to, you've got to, um, in the same way, is it, is it jettison in Castrovalva where uh, he gets rid of everything? Yes. The zero room. The zero room. Yes. And they make the zero cabinet. So if you were to make your zero cabinet. With one right, nice thing. One. Okay. Right now, yeah. um, the other day I picked up an album uh, called The Wonderful World of Children's Songs. And half of them are sung by June Whitfield and half by John Pertwee. Oh, uh, with the old sow. There was a the young sow. Brilliant. Brilliant. That song is what I would take yeah. with me. That, yes. That precise song. That I version, love it. He, that scratched record. He that does, comes in with me. I'll listen to that. That's a, that is a proper nice thing. What about you? What's your he nice does thing? a little bit. Well, I'll get onto that. He does a little bit in, I think, episode two of Wurzel Gummidge. Hmm. There was an old oh. family with the sound out in the out. A brilliant, but that is a cracking album. What it's a great brilliant. purchase! Um, what were for, oh dear? Just the one. Just the one. Um, purchases over the last week. Are we talking? Well, we could go with purchases over if, if anything nice has come in the last week. Purchases over the last week. Well, head in here. I've bought quite a lot of things in the last <laughs> week. Um, um, if I'm going with things that I've bought in the last week then I would reach for this because I've been after this for quite some time. Um, the old Black Orchid novelization, which goes um, apparently very off-piste with the TV show. I've not read it yet. Apparently it's very good. Um, so that I'm quite enamored with getting this for 10 pence this afternoon um, as well. Look at that, 10p. And so, someone was so bothered about this, they backed the whole thing in Fablon. You know that plasticky stuff? Oh, wonderful, got? yes. And, and it's kind of like, you know, when you get these things uh, that have obviously been, like, you know, discarded, yeah. you, you want to know who had it before you, don't you? You want to know its provenance, but, you know, you can't. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going off here, aren't I, about nice things. I'll tell you what, we'll, 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 all of that can go hang. This, the only issue of Starburst 
I ever had oh, as a kid. There we are. I'll keep that because <laughs> Earlstown Market as a kid were onto the ephemera. Um, there was bags of comics on there for 50p. And in amongst all the, what were those things? Archie comics. American, dear. You won't like them. Um, no. Sorry, no. I said American. Um, in amongst work. them was that. Um, and so I read it till it fell apart. So I got that. Yeah, I'll have that. I'll have that this week. I'll have that, this, that week. this week. Okay. And um, yeah, yes. I enjoyed well, that. Next week, next week uh, we, we, we will discuss live TV. We will. I will, we will. I will talk about the inner workings of, if anyone can't remember, live TV, famous for a, a bunny rabbit behind the newsreader that will give thumbs up or thumbs down according to whether it liked the news or not. Topless darts, a bouncing weather midget, and... What was called um, what was it? the cheapest soap in Britain? <laughs> Most audience figures, which I, I'm quite proud of, actually. I'm very proud of that. I have no all, problem with all from the groaning palate of Paul Carmack. <laughs> so I look that. forward and to. Hear, I, I want to hear about that myself. We will. We will discuss that. And um, the other thing is, of course, uh, what we'll be able to do is, if anybody has any exciting things you would like reviewed, nice yes. thing, nice things, please get in touch with us in the comments, or there'll be an email. There'll be something. Oh, there'll be something, dear. There'll be carry a picture. Let us know. We're always happy to give things the once over and uh, simply decide whether it's nice or not. Nice, free, well, nice things. Very nice things. I see you're already getting your hat in the ring for the freebies, my dear boy. What a very good idea. <laughs> Yeah. So that's <laughs> so that's free at nicethings.com. <laughs> well, my dear, I shall leave yeah, you yeah. to it, and uh, I look forward to the next one. Yes, we will see you in a week. Cheerio. Goodbye, Lord Paul. Bye bye. Sir Michael Lipsley. The title music was composed by Michael Lipsley. This has been a Guilty Dog production. Nice thing.